the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. In addition to covering the day's news, we're going to talk with Hans von Spakovsky. He's the manager and election law reform initiative and senior legal fellow at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. We're going to be talking about the shocking anti-Semitism following the Hamas attack, which he suggests is deja vu all over again, hearkening back to the 1930s and the American uh, Bund. We'll talk with him about that coming up in the second hour of uh, today's program. Well, we just learned in the last hour that U.S. troops in the Middle East have been attacked at least 42 times since mid-October, with two new attacks happening in the last 24 hours. A U.S. defense official has confirmed that the uh, developments on Wednesday, the recent attacks on U.S. bases began on the 17th, with the turmoil, of course, going on in the region. U.S. troops there in Iraq and Syria have been repeatedly attacked by groups likely backed by Iran. Militants have been firing one-way drones and rockets. The official explained that the newest attack didn't injure personnel or damage infrastructure. One of the incidents occurred at the Al-Shaddadi base in Syria. Uh, U.S. launching airstrikes to retaliate for attacks on bases in those two countries. Today, as to President Biden's direction, U.S. military forces conducted a self-defense strike on a facility in eastern Syria used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard and affiliated groups, the statement read. This strike was conducted by two U.S. F-15s against a weapons storage facility. This precision self-defense strike is a response to a series of attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by the IRGC, uh, Quds Force Affiliates. The president has no uh, higher priority than the safety of U.S. personnel, and he directed today's actions to make clear that the United States will defend itself, its personnel, and its interests, the, statements, uh, the statement read. Now, we know that Houthis earlier in the day shot down a U.S. MQ-9 Reaper drone off the coast of Yemen. A U.S. defense official confirmed Uh, We can confirm that a U.S. military MQ-9 remotely piloted aircraft was shot down while in international airspace over international waters off the coast of Yemen, the official said. U.S. uh, Central Command officials are assessing the incident. Well, the MQ-9 Reaper drone was reportedly surveilling Yemen when a Houthi militia fired at it. The drone is estimated to cost about $30 million. The last time an MQ-9 Reaper was shot down by Houthi fighters was in the 6th of June, 2019. The Biden administration removed the Houthis from the U.S. list of terrorist groups in 2021. May need to rethink that. Well, yesterday was an election day. GOP hopes for uh, Republicans to um, shine were pretty much crushed as Republicans suffered losses, loss after loss in the bellwether election. Democrats will retain control of the Virginia State Senate 
and flipped the state House of Delegates from Republicans, according to the Associated Press. Despite GOP Governor Glenn Youngkin's attempts to win total GOP control of the state legislature, the AP projects at least 21 Democrats have been elected to the state Senate. 51 Democrats have been elected to the state House of Delegates. It's not clear how strong the Democratic majority will be in each chamber. But Virginia's legislative elections grabbed outsized national attention with both Democrats and Republicans spending millions on the races, which were viewed in political circles as a key barometer out of the 2024 elections for president and control of Congress next year. Republicans in Virginia, they won elections for governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general two years ago, their first statewide victories in a dozen years, and they flipped the House. Well, the victories in a state that had trended blue over the previous decade energized Republicans nationwide. Strategists from both parties are looking closely at the results in Virginia's northern suburbs of Washington, D.C. and around Richmond for signs that Republicans were able to make any inroads with suburban voters and especially women who fled the GOP in recent election cycles. But there's scant evidence. Virginia's elections were also a major testing ground for Republicans on the divisive issue of abortion. Democrats successfully aimed to keep in place the state's current restrictions, which allow abortion through the second trimester. And they noted that Virginia is the only southern state that doesn't ban abortion. And while Youngkin wasn't on the ballot, he had plenty riding on Tuesday's election results after investing plenty of political capital on behalf of Republican legislative candidates. Now, the results mean that Youngkin won't have a free hand during his final two years in office to push through a conservative agenda and are seen as political setbacks for a governor with a reputation as a rising star in the GOP, whom some top Republicans, uh, Republican donors were urging to make a uh, late uh, showing in the game for the 2024 White House race. Well, Virginia was far from... uh, Uh, The only state where abortion was front and center, voters in the red state of Ohio convincingly approved a ballot measure to protect abortion rights in the state constitution. In heavily red state Kentucky, Democratic Governor Andy Brashear, he won re-election in part by criticizing opposition to abortion by the Republican challenger, State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. And in a closely watched state Supreme Court race in Battleground, Pennsylvania, a Democrat won an open seat after campaigning on a pledge to uphold abortion rights. Longtime GOP strategist David Kokel, he noted that abortions remain a terrible problem for Republicans uh, who oppose it on principle. Uh, They're out of step with where the country is on the issue. He, as a veteran of numerous presidential and statewide campaigns, acknowledged that Republicans are not going to win on abortion and urged GOP candidates to fight where they can win on the economy, foreign policy and competence. Veteran strategist Democratic National Committee Chairman Maria Cordona pointed out, uh, rather pointed to last year's midterms where the Democrats overperformed and said that the 2023 results were similar to what happened in 2022 when everybody was predicting a red wave. Looking ahead to next year's contests, uh, contests rather, Cardona predicted that abortion is going to continue to be an incredibly mobilizing issue. Now, the question is whether or not you abandon the issue uh, for political expediency or on principle, you retain your position. That will be the challenge for Republicans moving forward. And we will certainly continue to follow that and every other story in the election. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back momentarily. Again, Hans von Spakovsky. <laughs> 
Hard to say sometimes. Hans von Spakovsky. He'll be talking with us about uh, shocking anti-Semitism that is uh, returning. We'll explain when he joins us in the second hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Republicans apparently have a problem connecting with voters on some big cultural issues. Uh, Most conservatives see major problems running rampant in our society, and we see that one party is disproportionately responsible. So why does that party keep winning? That's the question that Nate Jackson asked in a recent column, More Wins for the Party of Planned Parenthood. Abortion kills perhaps as many as a million American children every year, wildly more than any other cause, including the um, gun violence bugaboo. Yet Democrats demand abortion policies as permissive as those in of only a few socialist communist countries in the world, and they won at the ballot box yesterday. Democrat Kentucky, Kentucky Governor Andy Brashear uh, is going to get a, a lot of attention from the National Party. As a rising national star after winning re-election in his deep red state, he won primarily by being a left-winger who convinced voters he's not certifiably insane, <laughs> Jackson points out. He distanced himself from Joe Biden and he focused on state issues, most of which exhibited that he actually is far more competent and likable than the president. The state is growing economically, even as voters struggle with the inflation Brashear's party caused. Voters approved the way the governor handled natural disasters like floods and tornadoes. And even when it came to not so natural ones like COVID, voters at least declined to punish Brashear for typical uh, tyranny. Arguably, key to uh, his victory was using abortion to his advantage, painting his opponent, State Attorney General Daniel Cameron, as an extremist and himself as a protector of limited government. Yet Bashir is the social extremist, having vetoed a GOP bill banning so-called gender-affirming care for children. It shouldn't go without mentioning that Cameron was uh, repeatedly cast as the protege of Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell, who bears the distinction of being the least popular politician in America. Clearly, McConnell should be thinking about retiring, not picking the next generation of leaders. Then again, Cameron's close argument, uh, closing argument was that he was endorsed by Donald Trump, who boasted that Cameron is that he is his guy, not really a McConnell guy. For what it's worth, McConnell lost, uh, or rather last one, in 2020 with nearly 58% of the vote. Trump won Kentucky in 2020 with 62% of the vote. Overall, many of the same dynamics played out in uh, neighboring Virginia, where Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin suffered a setback, not only uh, failing to help his party take the the state uh, Senate, but by losing the state House, the GOP had won back in 2021. Well, that said, it wasn't a disaster either. Virginia Republicans lost three House seats and sit at a 49-51 minority, all while gaining a seat in the Senate. Youngkin has been floating, uh, floated rather by some GOPers, desperate for a viable challenger to Trump for the presidential nomination as a late entering savior. Yesterday's results will likely put that idea to rest. Virginia voters like Youngkin and he may still have a national future, but a state that is dominated by the suburbs of Washington, D.C., declined to give him and his party unified control of Richmond. That will hamper his agenda for the next two years and likely lower his profile unless he can effectively govern with a bipartisan coalition. Also, given that Virginia also often serves as a bellwether a year ahead of national elections, yesterday's results bode ill for the GOP in 2024. Now, a side note about Virginia state races. Democrat Susanna Gibson became famous by soliciting donations for live streaming, well, her personal life with her husband and then having the chutzpah to... Uh, 
decry the publicity as an illegal invasion of her privacy designed to humiliate her. She's currently trailing her Republican opponent in a race for a state House seat, which at least would be a minor defeat for pornography and a victory for those who want to keep her bedroom out of government. Finally, back to abortion. Ohio voters overwhelmingly passed Issue 1, the constitutional amendment codifying the right to abortion, and the result wasn't even close. Ohio backed Trump by eight points, and the abortion amendment succeeded by 12 points yesterday. Democrats successfully turned their position into one of limited government, and Ohio voters went for it, just as voters have in similar ballot issues in six other states after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. Well, the ugly reality in Ohio is that the language of Issue 1 endangers all children, not just those in the womb. It establishes an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. That opens the door for medical mutilation on the gender front. And because it's now enshrined in the state's constitution, lawmakers will have little wiggle room in the future. Planned Parenthood's butchers are rejoicing at the newly secured revenue streams, which is why the company and numerous other out-of-state actors spent so heavily to win. Voters in Ohio also approved issue two, which legalizes pot in the state and sarcasm alert should really help the mental capacity of voters in the future. What connects all the dots here? Democrats are master um, manipulators of voters emotions and they'll kill uh, uh, want to kill children in the womb and groom and mutilate them once they're out of it. Yet these members of the party of big government are successfully framing both issues as keeping government out of decisions made at home. They're casting Republicans as power hungry prudes who want the uh, to take control of people's intimate decisions. The emotional appeal, especially to women voters, is incredibly strong. The exit question, um, where's keep the government out of my bedroom during Pride Month um, and other questions that have arisen? Again, an analysis of yesterday's uh, election. In another story, pro-life activist Mark Hauk and his wife, Ryan Marie Hauk, are suing the Federal Department of Justice over the department's treatment of their family, accusing the uh, justice of a faulty investigation that led to an excessively forceful arrest and a malicious and retaliatory prosecution that has severely impacted their entire family. Hauk is a Catholic father of seven who was arrested and charged with violating the Freedom of Access to Abortion Clinic Entrances, or FACE Act, by President Joe Biden's administration. A jury found him not guilty of the federal charges in January, and he announced in August that he's running for Congress in Pennsylvania's first congressional district. Well, Department of Justice FACE Act charges uh, stemmed from a 2021 incident outside of Philadelphia-based Planned Parenthood, where Hauk pushed an abortion clinic volunteer who was repeatedly harassing his son, Mark Jr., Local authorities ultimately dismissed the matter until the Biden Department of Justice re-upped it in response to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Mark and Ryan Marie Hauk believe they were targeted by the Department of Justice under Biden in an effort to intimidate, silence and scare the family for their pro-life work, praying outside abortion clinics for the women headed inside to abort their unborn children. This lawsuit will send a strong message to the Department of Justice that the United States of America does not belong to Attorney General Merrick Garland or the FBI. It belongs to all Americans, despite our many disagreements on different issues. Sean Carney, president of the pro-life organization 40 Days for Life, which is representing Hauk. We all believe that we should have the right to free speech and to be protected from unlawful infringement by our own government. 
He went on to add, Mark and his wife have valid and critical claims against the government that raided their house and pointed guns at them and their screaming children. Mark, his wife and their seven children have been devastated by this horrific event, which should never have happened if not for the bigotry of our compromised Department of Justice. Well, how can his wife file their lawsuit against the Department of Justice on Monday, but didn't formally announce the news until Wednesday morning? Their complaints detail the trauma that their entire family suffered when they discovered armed FBI agents banging on their door early in the morning on September 23rd, 2022. The House of Representatives has voted to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib, the Democrat from Michigan, In a 234 to 188 vote on Tuesday night, the punishment, while largely symbolic, was a formal public rebuke of her most recent anti-Israel comments made in the wake of the Jewish nation's war against the terror group Hamas. 22 Democrats voted with 212 Republicans to censure Tlaib. Four GOP lawmakers voted against the measure. Four lawmakers voted present. The measure was introduced by Representative Rick McCormick on Monday. If this is not worthy of censure, what is, he asked. When you can call for the annihilation of a country and its people, if that's not worthy of censure, what is? McCormick said on the House floor on Tuesday. In the next, in the text, rather, of his resolution, the Georgia Republican accused Tlaib of promoting false narratives regarding the October 7th the Hamas attack on Israel and for calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American in Congress, had come under bipartisan criticism after sharing a video on social platform X that included the phrase, from the river to the sea, a pro-Palestinian liberation slogan. Her critics have pointed out that the rallying cry implicitly calls for the destruction, the annihilation of the state of Israel. Hamas has also co-opted the phrase. Tlaib has remained unrepentant over her use of the phrase. Well, Israel began operating at the heart of Gaza City on Wednesday with the United Nations estimating that some 15,000 people fled to southern Gaza the day prior. Gaza's Hamas-run Ministry of Health claims that some 10,000 Gazans have been killed in the conflict, though it does not distinguish between terrorists and civilians. As the Israeli military shores up its strategic positions in northern Gaza, preparing to enter deeper into Hamas's stronghold, One of the key points of the battle, the army has indicated, is likely to be the Palestinian enclave's largest medical center, Al-Shifa Hospital. According to declassified intelligence materials shared with the media in recent weeks by IDF spokesperson, even as the hospital treats a growing number of wounded Gazans, Hamas terrorists operate beside and beneath in a labyrinth of tunnels that form the group's military headquarters. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Hans von Spakovsky. He's a uh, manager, election law reform initiative and senior fellow, a legal fellow at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. We'll be talking about anti-Semitism and looking back to uh, the 1930s when there was the uh, American Bund. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, the House approved a measure late Tuesday that would slash Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's taxpayer-funded government salary to just $1. The bill, which was introduced by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican out of Georgia, was passed via voice vote on Tuesday as an amendment to the 2024 Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act. 
the standalone funding bill for the General Services Administration, Securities and Exchange Commission, and other related agencies. She said, I'm proud to announce my amendment to fire Pete Buttigieg just past the House. Pothole Pete staged fake bike rides to the White House and used private planes funded by taxpayers to receive awards for the way certain people have Well, relationships with one another, Green said in the social media post on Tuesday. American taxpayers should not be on the hook for paying for his lavish trips on his or his salary, she said. Buttigieg doesn't do his uh, job. It's all about fake photo ops and taxpayer funded private jet trip to accept LGBTQ awards for himself. I'm happy my amendment passed, but he doesn't deserve a single penny. Since taking office in 2021, Buttigieg has faced criticism from Republican lawmakers in response to several crises that have faced the Department of Transportation. Now, in addition, there have been multiple instances of mass commercial airline cancellations during his tenure for various reasons, including a pilot shortage. Republicans and Democrats alike had called for Buttigieg to take decisive action to ensure air travelers are protected from such cancellations. And while Buttigieg has spent much of his tenure uh, addressing commercial delays, he's used government uh, flights, um, Government managed private jets on at least 18 occasions since taking office. Now, those flights sparked an ongoing inspector general probe and have cost taxpayers tens of thousands of dollars. And the transportation secretary came under fire last year after it was revealed he vacationed in Porto, Portugal, while his agency and the White House were locked in tense negotiations with rail worker unions to avert a strike that could have had a dire impact on the U.S. economy. The Department of Transportation said at the time that the vacation was a long-planned personal trip. Hmm. A new poll published Tuesday shows independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has more support among young Americans in swing states than both the GOP frontrunner and incumbent president. The New York Times and Siena College published a poll showing that Kennedy has more support among Americans under 45 in critical battleground states over both presidents Trump and Biden. According to the poll, 34 percent of registered voters between 18 and 29 are behind Kennedy for president. Comparatively, Trump, the GOP frontrunner, only carries 29 percent of that age range, while Biden, the Democratic nominee, carries just 30 percent. Among 30 to 44 age group, uh, Kennedy carries 31 percent of support compared to Biden and Trump's matching 30 percent. However, Kennedy is trailing behind the two presidents and the other age groups with the independent candidates. uh, Lowest numbers coming from the registered voters aged 45 and above. At 20 percent support, Kennedy is heavily behind Trump and Biden in the 45 to 64 age group who carry 41 percent and 31 percent respectively. Now, among registered voters age 65 and up, Kennedy only carries 17 percent of the people polled, while Trump took 37 percent and Biden 39. The poll illustrates Kennedy's growing popularity among young Americans as he seeks the White House in an independent bid against Biden. Well, in other news, there are three reasons that some are speculating, Byron York in particular, that Trump is leading Biden. The entire Democratic political establishment freaked out recently when that New York Times published a story headline, Trump leads in five critical states as voters blast Biden, Times Siena poll finds, end quote. Well, the story was based on a New York Times survey, we talked about it here yesterday, in which voters in six key swing states, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nevada, were asked whether they supported President Joe Biden or former President Donald Trump in a 2024 matchup. 
The result in five of those states, all except Wisconsin, Trump led Biden. Well, the poll found Trump leading by 10 points in Nevada, by six in Georgia, five in Arizona and Michigan, four in Pennsylvania, while Biden led Trump by two points in Wisconsin. If the results in the poll were the same next November, Mr. Trump would be poised to win more than 300 electoral college votes, far above the 270 needed to take the White House, the Times concluded. Well, the news set off panic among many Democrats. After all, the party has bet its future on Biden, well, at least out loud. It will soon be too late to take any other course. It may be too late already. But rather than focus on the Democratic freakout, it might be more valuable use of time to focus on this question. Why is Trump leading Biden? Well, there are three big reasons Byron York suggests are worthy of consideration. One, things have gone Well, pretty badly since Biden became president. The New York Times quotes a voter in Pennsylvania who said the world is falling apart under Biden. Why wouldn't voters think that the economy, the border, the crime uh, war in Ukraine, war in Israel? A lot has gone terribly wrong since Biden entered the White House. Discontent pulsates throughout the Times Siena poll with a majority of voters saying Mr. Biden's policies have personally hurt them, reported the Times. That was shown most dramatically in the responses to a very simple question. Do you think Joe Biden's policies have helped you personally or hurt you personally? Pollsters then ask the same about Trump. Voters across all income levels felt that Mr. Biden's policies had hurt them personally while they credited Mr. Trump's policies for helping them, the Times reported. The results were mirror opposites. Voters gave Mr. Trump a 17-point advantage for having helped them and Mr. Biden an 18-point disadvantage for having hurt them. Well, the month-old Israel-Hamas war just... um, further underscores the sense of things going wrong under the current administration. Voters say this didn't happen under Trump. They say the same thing about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They certainly say the same thing about the ongoing disaster at the U.S.-Mexico border and about inflation, which is eaten into their standard of living. In the Times poll, voters said they trust Trump more than on the economy, uh, on economic issues in general, by a 59 to set 37 percent margin. So reason one's, uh, one is clear. Things have gotten worse since Trump left office and Biden became president. Can you put all of it on Biden? Can you uh, suggest Trump um, manage all things better? This is what voters are saying. Number two, Biden's age. The time asked voters to agree or disagree with the following statement. Joe Biden is just too old to be an effective president. A decisive 71 percent agreed. 71 percent. That's a huge majority. When the Times asked the same question about Trump, just 38 percent agreed that Trump is too old to be an effective president. On another question, 62 percent said they don't believe Biden has the mental sharpness to be the effective president, while 44 percent said the same of Trump. There's not much more to say about that. People see the 80 year old Biden every day. They hear him speak. And every time they do, it reinforces their conclusion that he's too old for the job. They also see the 77-year-old Trump, but fewer conclude he is too old to be president. That's just the way it is. And finally, number three, the Trump prosecutions. Or as Trump would put it, persecutions. Reason one and reason two have to do with the way the general electorate views Biden and Trump. Reason three has to do with the intensity of the way Republicans view Trump. The short version is that four indictments plus a lawsuit in New York designed to destroy him financially, plus lawsuits across the country intended to remove his name from the ballot, all pushed by local elected Democrats, Democratic activists and or 
Uh, The current Democratic administration have significantly hardened the determination of some Trump supporters to keep supporting him. So when news events occur and some less committed voters move around, the core of Trump supporters stay rock solid. There's um, there's not enough uh, of them to elect Trump president, but they are the foundation upon which he has built his campaign. Well, the new poll clearly shocked many Biden supporters. Already pushback has begun, which you uh, can be sure will continue. And indeed, everyone should remember that a lot can change in the year before an election. But some things will not change. Biden will not get any younger and the race will likely remain super competitive until the end. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back. Also coming up in our second hour, Hans von Spakovsky. He's going to talk about anti-Semitism today and, well, in the 30s. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Just winding our way through some of the day's headlines and looking forward to a conversation on anti-Semitism then and now. Well, Ivanka Trump has taken the witness stand to testify in the non-jury civil trial stemming from the New York Attorney General Letitia James lawsuit against her family and the Trump Organization. Now, the former president's daughter was originally listed as a defendant in James' lawsuit in which she alleged Trump defrauded banks and inflated the value of his assets with the help of his children. Well, the New York appeals court over the summer dismissed Ivanka Trump as a defendant. That uh, ruling also limited the statute of limitations. Well, her court appearance comes after her attorneys filed a notice of appeals last week to reverse the decision to require her to testify to testify. Rather, Um, their request was denied. Hence, she testified today. However, Letitia James treated her as though she were a defendant in that case. Well, conservative tech policy experts are urging Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan to hold a hearing on a potential partnership between TikTok and Google calling it deeply concerning both for U.S. markets and American citizens' privacy. As you may be aware, TikTok, the social media platform owned by Chinese company ByteDance, is currently testing a search partnership with Google, a noteworthy development in the way people search online, a letter sent to Jordan this week explained. Within the TikTok app, some searches now display an option to search the same request on Google. This redirection leads users to an in-app browser featuring Google search results um, for the query. Well, this partnership between Google and TikTok is deeply concerning as it threatens core principles of the free market and the individual freedom and privacy of everyday Americans. TikTok and parent company ByteDance have been a source of alarm for national security hawks who have warned the Chinese government could use the massively popular social media platform to influence and monitor Americans. Well, the letter also pointed to Google's own privacy issues, such as when the company had to pay $170 million for allowing YouTube to legally collect data from minors without their parents' consent in 2019. Well, Iran used a new missile against U.S. troops in the Middle East just weeks after the administration allowed sanctions on Iran's missile program to expire. A collection of its supported terrorist proxies operating collectively in the Islamic resistance in Iraq announced that it is now um, it now has a medium range missile intended for strikes against U.S. troops on bases around Iraq and Syria. Well, the so-called Islamic resistance in Iraq says It revealed today for the first time that a medium-range missile of the um, Al-Aqsa-1 model entered service as it was launched to target the American bases in Iraq and Syria, including some other areas. 
Uh, one reporter, Laura Siegelman, said the number of attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria rose significantly over the weekend from 30 to 38. It's now, I believe, at 40, 46 in total, according to the Pentagon press secretary. A number of service members uh, wounded also rose to 46 in total as troops continue to report injuries after the October 17th and 18th attacks. The U.S. is sending $320 million in military aid to Israel. The administration is planning the uh, $320 million transfer of precision bombs for Israel, arranging a major weapons deal as the president and senior officials press Israel to do more to protect civilians in its military campaign in Gaza. The administration sent formal notification on the 31st of last month to congressional leaders of the planned transfer of Spice Family gilding bomb assemblies, a type of precision gilded weapons fired by warplanes. Under the agreement, weapons manufacturer Rafael USA would transfer the bombs to its Israeli parent company, uh, the Advanced Defense Systems, for use by the Israeli Defense Ministry, the correspondent says. The plan also includes the provision of support, assembly, testing, and other technology related to the weapons use. It follows a $402 million transfer of the same weapons that the administration first sought congressional approval for in 2020. The Wall Street Journal reported, well, Times of Israel reports that Israel says its offensive is aimed at destroying Hamas's military and governance capabilities and has vowed to eliminate the entire terror group, which rules uh, the Strip. It says it's targeting all areas where Hamas operates while seeking to minimize civilian casualties, hence warning before the strikes. The precision air to surface weapon system would help to minimize civilian casualties in Gaza, as well as allow Israel aircrafts to strike from longer range. Well, the State Department outsourced its social media censorship operations to Stanford University researchers ahead of the 2020 election. That's according to a new House GOP report. The Department of Homeland Security and the State Department worked directly with a group of academics known as the Election Integrity Partnership, or EIP, to monitor and censor Americans' online speech in advance of the 2020 presidential election, according to a report published Monday by the House Judiciary Committee and its Weaponization Select Subcommittee. Led by researchers at the Stanford Internet Observatory, the EIP coordinated with the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the State Department's Global Engagement Center to guide censorship decisions on platforms such as Twitter and Facebook in the name of protecting election integrity. Censorship, nonetheless. Representative Jordan says here's how it worked. EIP stakeholders, including the federal government, would submit misinformation reports. EIP would analyze the uh, uh, report and find similar content across platforms. EIP would submit the report to Big Tech, often with a, a recommendation on how to censor. Free speech? Does it still exist in America? One wonders. Russia on Tuesday withdrew from the Conventional Armed Forces in Europe Treaty, uh, causing uh, the United Nations, uh, rather the United States and its NATO allies to suspend the major agreement, which limited the number of military vehicles and weapons that could be deployed in Europe. The U.S. will formally suspend its participation in the treaty in December on the 7th. Notable anniversary. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said other NATO allies are following suit at different paces. The treaty was signed in 1990 and it eliminated the Soviet Union's military advantage in Europe by placing equal limits on the amount of military equipment that NATO and members of the USSR's Warsaw Pact could deploy between Russia's Euro Mountains 
uh, the chain of mountains and the Atlantic Ocean, according to the Arms Control Association. Equipment impacted by the treaty include heavy artillery, tanks and combat aircraft. The Hill reports that Russian President Vladimir Putin has also suspended a major nuclear arms treaty with the U.S. and revoked the ratification of an atomic weapons testing ban. Russia's foreign ministry, which said over the uh, the summer, the decision to withdraw from the CFE was finalized, claimed it was impossible to negotiate with the West on the treaty. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Monday in a Monday address that it is not the right time for elections in Ukraine as the end of his five year term approaches. Zelensky argued in his Monday video address that Ukraine should not have to deal with elections that is, as it continues to attempt to fend off Russia, which invaded Ukraine in February. He previously had not ruled out Ukraine holding a presidential contest next year, though elections are currently suspended in the country under martial law. Presidential elections in Ukraine are scheduled to take place every five years, with the next one slated for next March. The president had faced some calls to hold the elections next year, including from Senator Lindsey Graham, who said it would be a testament to Ukraine's commitment to democracy. Zelensky said in his address that the country needed to focus on the war and that political disagreements should not should be put aside as Russia would seek to take advantage of any splits. Representative Jim Jordan dropped a censorship uh, bombshell in a 103 page interim report The House Judiciary Committee chaired by Representative Jordan revealed that the Department of Homeland Security helped create a disinformation group at the university. Um, The group laughingly dubbed the Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, colluding with the DHS cybersecurity team. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with Hans von Spakovsky. He is with the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about anti-Semitism now and then. Back in the 1930s, stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I think we would all agree it's been shocking to see such vicious anti-Semitic um, rants on college campuses and support for Hamas following their brutal, violent attack on Israel. But it's not new. And my next guest joins us to talk about a bit of the history of what we've seen in this country before and why it's important to do something about it now. Hans von Spakowski is a senior legal fellow and manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative at the Heritage Foundation and a former Justice Department lawyer and FEC commissioner. He is the uh, co-author of Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. And he joins us today to talk about what we're witnessing on our television screens and on college campuses across the country. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, sure. Thanks for having me back on the show. Well, it is shocking uh, to hear some of the rhetoric, particularly on some of our um, more elite college campuses. But you point out that it shouldn't be altogether surprising, given the Marxist socialist training camps that these uh, university campuses in some cases have become. Yeah, that's unfortunately true. Um, uh, even the law schools are are uh, bad when it comes to that. And what's amazing about this, or I guess the sh- shocking really, is that, um, you know, all these protesters out there, not only are they supporting, as you described, a brutal attack that killed uh, men, women, children, and, and babies, but they are supporting a uh, terrorist Uh, police state that resembles Nazi Germany. And if folks think I'm exaggerating, all you got to do is pull up 
uh, a 2020 report by our own State Department about how Hamas um, has basically turned Gaza into a police state. They arrest and kill anyone who opposes them. In fact, the description, when you read it from the State Department report, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like Germany in 1939. And the reason that's relevant is that uh, a lot of people don't know this, but in the 1930s, uh, there were these organizations formed in the U.S. called the German-American Bund, B-U-N-D, which, which uh, translated means federation. These were clubs of ethnic Germans who had immigrated to the U.S., similar to these uh, uh, ethnic Palestinians um, who have organized these groups on college campuses, and they supported Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. They were uh, based on anti-Semitism. And uh, in 1939, they actually held a meeting, a big rally, at Madison Square Gardens in New York that 20,000 people attended. And, you know, it wasn't exactly a secret uh, who Adolf Hitler was at that time, the way he was running Germany, and yet they were coming out supporting him. That is remarkably similar to what's going on right now with these supporters of Hamas in the United States. You know, you made reference to this State Department report that came out. Was it last year, I think? I follow yeah. this fairly closely. And what I read there was was shocking to me, the uh, the extent to which Hamas is oppressing its own people. And I think oppressing is, isn't even a strong enough word, violently opposing and and um, right. subjugating its own people for its own um, purposes. I think about some of the Hamas leaders who live in Gutter and other places who are living in the lap of luxury while the Palestinian people are suffering um, gravely. This is not a picture that is being painted very clearly in many places. No, it, it's not. And I mean, you know, like I said, I don't think I don't see how you can read this report and yet go out and and support Hamas and the attacks it has. And, you know, what makes this even worse, and, boy, I tell you, uh, it's difficult to watch. People sh- will be shocked by watching, but it's no secret what Hamas has done in this latest attack because its fighters were wearing body cams showing them in, uh, engaging in this, this brutal killings of of civilians and yet you have protesters out there uh in their support you had people at the white house uh doing the same thing uh they are supporting an organization which controls gaza which was designated as a terrorist organization a long time ago by our own state department Let me ask you to comment on the distinction that some would make. We support the Palestinian people, and in doing so, we support Hamas because they are representing the interests of the Palestinian people. Because I think a lot of people give themselves a pass in supporting Hamas because they are the the, the legal representative, the government representatives of Palestinian people, and by supporting them that somehow you are um, supporting the aspirations of the innocent Palestinians who are caught in the middle of all of this. Well, that's what members of the German-American Bund were saying in the 30s. They were supporting Adolf Hitler and the Nazis because of their over their concern for the German people. And I I think anybody looking back at that today would say 
that was a very big mistake. And this is also a very big mistake. And uh, by the way, the other thing I hear people talking about is, well, you know, we need a two state solution uh, and this problem will go away. Well, excuse me, but we've had two states since 2005. That's when uh, Israel pulled out of Gaza. That, that was almost 20 years ago now. And if the Palestinians in Gaza had devoted themselves to trying to basically build a nation, right, uh, build up an economy, take advantage, for example, of the beautiful beaches they have, to uh, uh, build up a resort community so they could make money on tourism, think what Gaza would be like today. Instead, they had one election, Hamas took over, uh, they were voted in by the Palestinians, Uh, they've had no election since then, also very similar to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis taking over. And what have they done in that 20 years? Spend all of their time, resources, and money to uh, basically um, put together all the plans, all the equipment, all the machinery of war and terrorism instead of trying to seek peace and build up their nation. Let me ask you one more question before our time runs out. What do we do about it? You mentioned the uh, the American Bund that was here during the 1930s. What should we do to these uh, with these protesters and these uh, uh, professors and others who are in positions of leadership who really are um, saying and doing what they're doing with immunity, impunity? That's not the word I want. Well, but first you know of what I mean. all, yeah, yeah. Look, any students who are here who are not U.S. citizens. Um, their visas should be terminated and they need to be deported. We should not have foreigners in this country who are supporting a terrorist organization. And the Americans who are doing this, yeah, the First Amendment gives them a right to speak. It does not give them a right to support violence and assaults like what we saw on the campus of Harvard when the editor of the Harvard Law Review uh, assaulted a Jewish uh, student walking across campus. And frankly, they need to suffer the professional consequences Mm -hmm. of what they're doing. You know, I I would certainly not hire a law student from uh, Harvard who supports terrorists no more than I would never hire a member of the Ku Klux Klan or someone who's a member of the Nazi Party. And this isn't any different than that. Well, thankfully, there are a few voices that are being raised that have some clout in this area. Thank you so much for talking with us. I appreciate your input. Sure thing. Anytime. Thank you. Again, Hans von Spakowski is the managing uh, manager in election law reform initiative and senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, I'm going to read from that report from the State Department to give you some idea of what they uh, what they outlined as far as what Hamas is doing with their own people. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening. Well, he already said it. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, uh, my next, my uh, guest in the previous segment had mentioned a State Department report. Um, Hamas is a tyrannical ruler over Gaza. And it sounds remarkably like the 1930s, which he pointed out in an article uh, that he uh, published uh, just a day or so ago. An executive summary was put together by the U.S. State Department 
um, a, a report about Hamas. It exercises dictatorial control over Gaza. It uses its military wing to crack down on internal dissent. And the report, again, published by the State Department in 2021, I believe, uh, lists the significant human rights abuses of Hamas in Gaza. And these are some of the things in that report. Arbitrary killings by Hamas personnel. Torture or cruel, inhumane and degrading treatment or punishment by Hamas personnel. We're not talking about of Israelis. We're talking about of Palestinians. Arbitrary arrest and detention, political prisoners or detainees, serious problems with the independence of the judiciary, arbitrary or unlawful interference with privacy, serious restrictions on freedom of expression, including violence, threats of violence, arbitrary arrests or prosecutions of journalists, censorship and criminalization of liable and slander, serious restrictions on internet freedom, substantial interference with the freedom of peace of peaceful assembly and freedom of association, serious and unreasonable restrictions on political participation. Again, they haven't had an election since Hamas was elected. Serious government corruption, lack of investigation of and accountability for gender-based violence, crimes, violence, and threats of violence motivated by anti-Semitism, unlawful recruitment and use of child soldiers, crimes involving uh, violence and threats of violence targeting lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or intersex persons, and the worst forms of child labor. And this is the government in the Gaza Strip. We don't really know, I would argue, what the Palestinian people think. They are not free to express themselves in the Gaza Strip as freely as we might suppose. And if this report reflects even in part what's actually happening there by the government overseen by Hamas, then this should be a great of grave concern to everyone who supports Hamas in this situation. It seems to me there are two separate issues the people of uh, Palestine, the, the Palestinians, I should say, and uh, Hamas, its ruling government. Anyway, I thought I found that uh, rather interesting. Um, and I was trying to see what the source of this um, article might have been. Yeah, I'm not seeing the, the head headline of it. But anyway, uh, Hans von Spakovsky, it's spelled with a V, Spakovsky, but it's silent. Uh, is one of the authors, and you can probably find that. It was published on the 7th. Well, today, Concerned Women for America, actually, I think it was closer to yesterday, and Young Women of America announced that they were hosting a series of prayer vigils for Israel on college campuses around the country this week that will um, focus attention on the suffering of the Jewish people and the victims of the terrorist attacks on October 7th. Texas A&M, Clemson, Baylor and Georgia Tech, they all will hold or have held vigils this week with other campuses following suit in the weeks ahead. And while anti-Semitism is on the rise and colleges around the country continue to see pro-terrorist rallies and sympathies for the perpetrators of the war in the Middle East, the prayer vigils will show support for Israel, take time to join the Christians, Jews and others to pray for peace and for justice for all, not just the Jews, but for the Palestinians who are caught in the middle as well. There is no equivocation in this conflict. Israel will, was mercilessly attacked and innocent men, women and children were murdered, raped and victimized. Penny Nance uh, says, we stand with Israel and against the, the demonic forces that would try to destroy its people. We recognize the special covenant that God made with the Jewish people, and we are instructed in the Bible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We are fulfilling our calling by holding these important prayer events. Um, and again, these events uh, have taken place or will take place. On Tuesday, there was a vigil held at Texas A&M. On Wednesday, the 8th, 
There were vigils held at Clemson University and Baylor University, and then tomorrow at Georgia Tech University. Um, You're not going to see much by way of headlines regarding all of this, but it is heartening to see that there are college campuses in which students are bending and the knee, bowing their head and asking God to intervene in what is a very, uh, very difficult and challenging situation. There was a great article written uh, recently. How many more minutes do I have? I'm trying to decide if I can go into the four minutes. I'm going to try. Um, written by Victor Davis Hanson. I usually appreciate what he writes because he has tremendous insights and he always sets or oftentimes sets his commentary in a uh, broader context. And he, in a recent a column uh, titled, let's see, Unassailed. Oh, I can't get the word here. Warring Tribes. A prescription for collective suicide. We'll go with that. Few Romans, he writes, in the late decades of their 5th century A.D. empire celebrated their newfound diversity of marauding Goths, Ostrogoths, Visigoths, Huns, and Vandals. These tribes en masse had crossed the unsecured Rhine and Danube borders to harvest Roman bounty without a care about what they had uh, crea- what had created it. Their agendas were focused on destroying the civilizations they overran rather than peacefully integrating into and perpetrating the uh, empire. Ironically, Rome's prior greatness had been due to the extension of citizenship to diverse people throughout Europe, North Africa, and Asia. I would just add, under not such great circumstances, millions had been assimilated, integrated, intermarried, and often superseded the original Italians of the early Roman Republic. Such fractious diversity had led to unity around the idea of Rome. New citizens learned to enjoy the advantage of habeas corpus, sophisticated roads, aqueducts, and public architecture, and the security offered by the legions. The unity of these diverse peoples fused into a single culture that empowered Rome. In contrast, the later disunity of hundreds of thousands of tribal people flooding into and dividing Rome doomed it. To meet the challenge of a multiracial society, the only viable pathway to a stable civilization of racially and ethnically different people is a single shared culture. Some nations can find collective success as a single homogenous people like Japan and Switzerland. Or equally, but with more difficulty, nations can prosper with heterodox peoples, but only if united by a single inclusive culture as the American melting pot once attested. It was once an aspiration. But a baleful third option, a multicultural society of diverse, unassimilated and often rival tribes, historically is a prescription for collective suicide. We are beginning to see just that in America as it sheds the melting pot and adopts the salad bowl of unassimilated and warring tribes. The U.S. is now seeing a rise in violent, racially and religiously motivated hate crimes. The border is non-existence. Millions of unlawful immigrants mock their hosts by their brazen illegal entrance. They will receive little civic education to become Americans, but they will learn that unassimilated tribalism wins their influence and advantages. In contrast, America was once a rare historical example of a multiracial but single culture democracy that actually worked. Well, there's much more to the article. Maybe we can revisit it on another day. But out of time in the Seattle area, do want to take a moment and thank Pedro Bartes for producing and engineering. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. In Portland, stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only portion of today's program. Well, the media downplayed the killing of a Jewish man in California. Perhaps Joe Biden and the Democrats were too busy rooting out Islamophobia to notice, but a 69-year-old Jewish man was programmed to death following an altercation with a pro-Palestinian thug at a Sunday afternoon rally in L.A., in the Thousand Oaks suburbs. Well, as it was reported, Kessler got into a physical altercation during which he fell backwards and struck his head on the ground, the Venture County Sheriff's Department said in a statement that added the medical examiner's office determined the cause of death to be blunt force head injury and the um, manner of death homicide. Well, homicide indeed, but Passive voice, politically correct headline from NBC News, man dies after hitting head during Israel and Palestinian rallies in California, officials say. Uh, what would we do without officials? Did Kessler hit himself in the head? Did the bump into uh, did he bump into a light pole? Uh, the headline doesn't say. As it turns out, he was smashed in the head with a megaphone by an as yet unnamed 50 year old assailant. And we wonder, had the roles been reversed and the pro-Israel protester had offered a pro-Palestinian protester um, in this altercation, would the media have been hiding his identity, the identity of the killer? We suspect not. But that's where we live today. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre refuses to um, condemn the tearing down of hostage posters. Look, I, I've sort of kind of seen the reporting here and there. I think it was last week. Uh, I'm just not going to go into specifics on that particular thing, she said, and that's a quote. So stammering um, the uh, press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, who became paralyzed when one of her uh, press pool supporters decided to ask her a good question yesterday. A lot of videos of individuals who have been tearing down signs began NBC News' Peter Alexander. Many of these taken place in New York City of Israelis uh, presently being held hostage in Gaza. There have been some tense confrontations that have taken place there. Is the White House view that these actions should be condemned, the pulling of uh, the pulling down of them and that uh, that's a form of peaceful or is that a form of peaceful protest? It's a simple question, really. And the answer shouldn't have been uh, difficult. It should have been equally simple. You condemn the tearing down of those posters, not only as an affront to the free speech, but as an assault on fundamental decency. Not that difficult to say. But shortly afterward, Corinne Jean-Pierre was told um, to clean up her own mess via X. As a result of the Hamas uh, terrorist attack, she posted communities and uh, families are grieving for the past month. The families of those who have been taken hostage have lived in agony, tearing down pictures of their loved ones who are being held hostage by Hamas is wrong and hurtful. Uh, what would she have done without do overs? She didn't say it from the podium when asked the question directly, but having uh, given time, uh, decided that, yeah, it was wrong. It was hurtful. It should be condemned. Well, this past summer, much of the mainstream media promoted climate alarmism with headlines like the Washington Post's. This was the world's hottest summer on record by a large margin. Furthermore, climate alarmists have been constantly uh, warning of an apocalyptic catastrophe in the global temperature warms by another one or two degrees Celsius. Yet time again. Uh, time and again, climate data fails to affirm and often debunks the climate model generated projections. Case in point, a recent study of temperature data collected from Antarctica from that of 1999 to 2018. The continent's annual mean surface temperature has cooled by over 1.8 degrees centigrade. 
Well, this data runs directly counter to 28 of the Climate Model Intercomparison Project 6 models, none of which had captured a cooling trend. So how is it that Antarctica has been cooling despite the fact that global carbon emissions have increased over the same time span? Could it be that man-caused carbon emissions aren't the primary driver of global temperatures? It's just a question. I'll leave it unanswered. Well, Republican attorneys generals have sued the FDA vis-a-vis abortion pills or about them. State attorneys uh, general in Idaho, Kansas and Missouri on Monday filed a joint lawsuit against the Food and Drug Administration, alleging that the agency never had the legal right to approve the abortion pills back in 2000. The abortion drugs in question are mifepristone and misoprostol, the abortion drugs in question. Furthermore, the suit challenges the FDA's 2016 decision to downgrade safety restrictions for the drugs, its 2019 approval of the generic version of the drug, and its 2021 decision to allow the drugs to be dispensed through the mail. The lawsuit observes that sex traffickers and sexual abusers often force their victims to get abortions, and they um, haven Uh, They haven't taken uh, advantage of the FDA's uh, actions, or they have, uh, noting that the primary responsibility of the FDA is to protect the health, safety and welfare of all Americans by rejecting or limiting the use of drugs dangerous to the public. The attorneys generals, they contend that the agency has failed in its responsibility. And they add specifically it failed America's women and girls when it chose politics over science and approved risky untested chemical abortion drugs for use in the United States. And it has continued to fail them by turning a blind eye to these uh, harms and repeatedly removing even the most basic precautionary requirements associated with the use of these risky drugs. Well, as if uh, serving in Joe Biden's uh, woke military weren't depressing enough, it turns out that our warriors are also at risk of having their identities stolen, as MIT Technology Review reports. For as little as um, 0.12 per record, data brokers in the U.S. are selling sensitive private data about active duty military members and veterans, including their names, home addresses, geolocation, net worth and religion and information about their children and health conditions. Researchers at Duke University, where the study was conducted, approached 12 data brokers in the U.S. and asked what would be necessary to buy this kind of information. The answer, not much of anything. They ultimately purchased thousands of records about American service members, finding that many brokers offered to sell the data with minimal vetting and were willing to deal with buyers using email domains based in both the U.S. and Asia. Now, if you want to address our military's unreadiness and the nation, the uh, national security risk of our stubborn recruiting shortfall, we might start with such fundamental assurances that their personal information won't be sold by money grubbing data brokers who then sell it to other unvetted money grubbing data brokers. Well, the Covenant school shooters leaked writings have now been authenticated. The leaked manifesto of the perpetrator was who attacked and murdered three children and three staff at Covenant School in Nashville earlier this year, has been authenticated. On Tuesday, Nashville Police Chief John Drake confirmed that the images of uh, the documents leaked to conservative commentator Stephen Crowder were genuine. Controversy has surrounded the female perpetrator's so-called manifesto after law enforcement and government authorities took the unusual step of refusing to release its content to the public. 
That all erupted again following the leak as it contends not only revealed the the contents rather not only revealed the perpetrator's racist anti-white motivations, she herself being white, but more so because of the government authorities response to its leak. As Drake announced an investigation into finding who was responsible for leaking to the media. And while many had surmised that the perpetrator's self-expressed transgender identity was the motive behind her murderous actions, her publicized writings uh, contain no such reference. Again, rather, uh, rather interesting. Well, the president vowed there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So those were the days, as um, Nate Jackson noted last month during the Trump years, roughly 450 miles of border wall were rege- were erected. Rather, though far from perfect, the problem of illegal immigration was far closer to being manageable than it well, had been and is now. Well, since Trump left office, our southern border has been a choreographed catastrophe, a cynical effort by the president and his party to make America more brown and so, to their thinking, make her more democratic. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be working. And public opinion being what it is and Joe Biden's reelection prospect being what they are. Um, Open Borders chief executive is now trying to burnish um, his border security credentials. As the New York Post reports, Biden now says he'll spend $950 million on various repair projects along the existing border in Texas, Arizona and California. We'd say better late than never, but that would lend legitimacy to this political ploy. Low EV demand with lithium sales tanking America's largest provider of lithium for the electric vehicle industry in the U.S., Um, The corporation has reported a significant sales slump as the company reported a third quarter net income of three hundred and two point five million dollars down from eight hundred and ninety seven point two million this time last year. Also, the company downgraded its forecasted total sales for the year from an expected range of ten point four to eleven point five billion down to nine point five billion and to nine point eight billion. The primary reason for the sales drop has to do with low and falling electric vehicle demand. And auto manufacturers find themselves stuck in an EV oversupply problem as the majority of consumers are simply not buying into the green dream. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, speaking of green dreams, a green energy mega project that New Jersey Democrat Governor Phil Murphy has been touting since 2019, a planned wind farm off the Jersey shore, recently blew up in his face. Danish renewable energy company Orsted backed out of the project, citing cost overruns, making it impossible. Orsted explained that it had already written off some $4 billion this year as part of the original deal that Murphy orchestrated, New Jersey State Power Company, PSEG, had invested a 25% stake in the offshore farm, but thanks to project cost overruns, the power company sold its stake this year. In order to keep money flowing to the green project, Murphy is now planning to funnel federal tax credits uh, earned when the wind farm was com- is completed to offset the increased costs. Previously, he promised to use those credits to lower residents' electric rates, Once again, the green dream is shown to be little other than a climate cult that is fundamentally unconcerned about the negative impact it has on people's lives and welfare. 
Well, the October jobs numbers are disappointing. The Labor Department reported that just 150,000 jobs are added in October, an uninspiring number in its own right and coming up short of the Dow Jones forecasted 170,000. The United Auto Workers strike is being at least partly blamed for the shortfall as the manufacturing sector saw overall jobs constrict. Meanwhile, the headline unemployment rate rose to 3.9 percent, coming in above the anticipated 3.8 percent. Hourly wages increased by 0.2 percent, also coming in below the forecasted 0.3 percent. Hourly wages increased 0.2 percent, also coming in uh, below the um, forecasted 4.1 percent over last year. All are indications that the warnings of economic downturn appear to be accurate. Given the negative report, the Federal Reserve will refrain from enacting another interest rate hike this year. Well, at least that's good news. The national sales record is expected ahead of Christmas. The National Retail Federation predicts record retail sales ahead of Christmas. However, as Mark Alexander noted, because of record Bidenflation resulting in record high prices, there's there won't be any record purchases. In other words, thanks to inflation, everything costs more and Washington is spending the high cost of goods as positive spending data. As if Americans are doing so well financially, they're free to spend more money. In reality, Americans are not consuming a higher quantity of goods, but rather are simply being forced to pay more for the goods they normally buy. Paying more for the same is being spun as record sales despite inflation. And whether you believe the purpose of attending college is to obtain work-related abilities or to grow personally and intellectually, your investment uh, these days isn't what it used to be. Step on a campus now and you're likely to be surrounded by Uh, intolerance. This is especially true when it comes to Jew hatred, which is experiencing a contagion-like resurgence on campuses all across the country. Some major donors are pushing back, as are some of the nation's leading law firms. Indeed, two dozen top firms have pinned an um, admonition to law schools, warning them to clean up their ugly mess or risk a downturn in recruitment activities. As educators at institutions of higher learning, the statement read, it is imperative that you provide your students with the tools and guidance to engage in a free exchange of ideas, even on emotionally charged issues and a matter that affirms the values we all hold dear and rejects unreservedly that which is antithetical to these values. There is no room for anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, racism or any other form of violence, hatred or bigotry on our on your campuses, in our workplaces or our communities. More than 300 Americans escaped Gaza in the last several days, but more remain. Jews are turning to Fox News for the first time, and the Supreme Court will review the uh, federal bump stock ban. A DoorDash is now warning that not tipping before your food arrives might mean drivers will deliver your food cold or worse. You can apply your own imagination. Hamas is hoarding vast amounts of fuel as Gaza hospitals are running low. The Washington Post says Hamas is more trustworthy than Joe Biden. And uh, 187,000 migrants were apprehended at the border in the first month of the new fiscal year. 30,000 more gotaways. Chinese nationals crossing into the United States from Mexico, Mexico rather, reached a new high, sparking national security concerns. And the IRS on Wednesday raised the amount that Americans can set aside for retirement in their 401k and other tax deferred plans next year. Beginning in 2024, workers will be allowed to contribute up to $23,000 of their 401 or rather to their 401k 
an increase of $500 from this year. The increase applies to other retirement savings accounts, including 403B plans, most 457 plans, and the federal government's thrift savings plan. Catch-up contributions for savers age 50 and older will remain unchanged at $7,500. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves won his re-election bid over Brandon Presley. The House approved a bill slashing Pete Buttigieg's salary to $1. The U.S. Supreme Court seems likely to allow gun bans for those under protective orders. And credit card balances spiked in the third quarter to $1.08 trillion record. Ibram X. Kendi is decrying as racism a financial audit after Boston University cleared his beleaguered anti-racist research center. Apparently, accountability is racist. Hamas leaders worth a staggering $11 billion revel in luxury while Gaza's people suffer, the New York Post reports. And in a bit of humor, more grocery stores are installing defibrillators at checkout or when you see your total. Well, on this day in history, 1892, President Grover Cleveland defeats incumbent Benjamin Harrison, becoming the first and to date only chief executive to win non-consecutive terms to the White House. Donald Trump hopes to be the second. 1923, Adolf Hitler launches his first attempt at seizing power in Germany with a failed coup in Munich that would become known as the Beer Hall Putsch. 1960, Senator John F. Kennedy defeats Vice President Richard M. Nixon for the presidency. 1972 home box office or HBO debuts with a showing of a movie, sometimes a great notion. 1974, a federal judge in Cleveland dismisses charges against eight Ohio National Guardsmen accused of violating the civil rights of students who were killed or wounded in the 1970 Kent State shootings. 1994, the midterm elections result in Republicans winning a majority in the Senate, while at the same time gaining control of the House for the first time in 40 years. 2000, Florida begins a statewide recount of ballots, a critical step in deciding the winner of the 2000 presidential election between Vice President Al Gore and Texas Governor George W. Bush. 2000, Waco Special Counsel John C. Danforth releases his final report absolving the government of wrongdoing in the 1993 siege at the Branch Davidian compound in Texas. A government raid at the compound led to the deaths of 76 people, including 20 children. And finally, on this day in history, Republican Donald Trump is elected America's 45th president, defeating Democrat Hillary Clinton in an astounding victory for the celebrity businessman and political novice. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.